and welcome to another episode of Balanced Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, and today we have another amazing guest to introduce to you now. Dr. Sharon Grossman is the founder of the Exhausted to Extraordinary Method, a three-step program designed to unblock your mind, reshape your thinking, and return the joy to your work in 90 days. As a psychologist, coach, and author of the international bestseller, The 7E Solution to Burnout, Dr. Sharon works with six-figure executives, entrepreneurs, and professionals in high-stress industries who are struggling with anxiety, overwhelm, and burnout. She shares tips and strategies as a keynote speaker and on her weekly podcast. You can find her at www.dr.sharongrossman.com. Dr. Sharon, what an honor to welcome you to Boundless Body Radio. Casey, thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Absolutely. It's such an honor. Um, So you know how there's pretty much like a day for everything. Like today might be like International Pickle Day or International like Don't Stub Your Tub on the, the, excuse me, Stub Your Toe on the Bed Day or whatever obscure thing. Um, I just wanted to point out that today is September 30th, the the time of recording, and it is International Podcast Day. So happy International Ah. Podcast Day. Well, good to know. I mean, that's really good information considering (laughs) I have three podcasts of my own and I do a lot of guest podcasting. So good to know. Good to know. Uh, Good juju on today. I know that fact only because I launched my second podcast today um, and I have two now, but um, yeah, you have three. That's pretty impressive. (laughs) How do you manage? (laughs) How do you manage three different podcasts? Uh, it's a lot of work, I have to be honest, but uh, I think it's the key is to just be really structured and organized. So for two of my podcasts, it's just me talking. And so for those, I create my content ideas ahead of time. So like at the beginning of the year, I came up with 52 ideas for each show. Wow. And so every week I don't have to wonder like, what am I going to talk about? I'll just go to my spreadsheet and be like, Oh, we're on week 36. And today we're going to be talking about X. And then I'll just have my VA come up with some interesting questions that people are asking online about those topics. And then I'll just go in and answer them for my third show. For my third show, I I look for uh, people who do interesting things, kind of like what you're doing and uh, just trying to promote their work and, um, yeah, just kind of expand the repertoire be- beyond what I can provide myself. So, uh, yeah, we should have you on the show. <laughs> I would love to appear anytime. That's so crazy. Um, the 52 like ideas, did they all come like kind of all at once or was it like you had to lock yourself in a closet for like a week to come up with all those ideas? Well, what happened was a year ago I published my book And then I thought, you know, I should just take a lot of the stuff that I spent two plus years researching and interviewing people about and just talk about like bits of information from that book. And so I just kind of went through the book and like, where can I get some little nuggets? And then that's how I kind of came up with that initial list. But it'll be interesting going into 2022 what I do moving forward because, you know, I'll, I'll probably expand beyond that into some new territories. Wow. 
That's absolutely amazing. So the podcast that I launched uh, today, you'll you'll love this, is called the How to Make a Podcast Podcast. <laughs> love it. Um, and it was funny because like I I wasn't I I didn't want to do that podcast. It didn't you know it wasn't an idea of mine. It wasn't something that I had thought about for a long time. I was sitting around on a Friday night and it hit me just like a ton of bricks. And within like thirty seconds, I had chosen the name. Nobody had taken it. From what I could tell, nobody had done it exactly the way that I wanted to do it. And it was fully like. Story storyboarded and everything. And it just came to me so fast. It's really crazy how we get some of those ideas. I would love to know for you, like what's, what's the greatest lesson you've learned from podcasting? The greatest lesson I've learned is that it's so much easier for me to do a show like this, where I'm talking to another human being than me, like (laughs) coming up with all the content and trying to talk to the listeners who aren't there live it's uh, it really is. I mean, I know some people just love podcasting. They have multiple shows. They can talk all day. I'm not as prolific when I'm on my own as I am when I'm talking in a conversation like this. So that's the biggest aha for me. Mm, I love that. Well, that's awesome. Well, we are transitioning from the batch of episodes that we, you know, drop today, which take people through the whole process, start to finish of kind of how we manage things and stay on top of, of what we do. And we're going to transition into an interview style where we're interviewing other podcasters. So Marty can extend an invitation if you ever want to be hosted on that show as well. We would love to have you talk more about that. Thank you. I appreciate it. Well, okay. So let's talk a little bit about your work. So some people are drawn to puppies. Other people like to paint or (laughs) look at flowers and you like to study stress and overwhelm. Um, Can you tell me a little bit about how you got interested in the topic that you're interested in? Yeah. So there's a couple of things I would say. One is I'm a trained psychologist. I've been doing this work for 20 years and it seems like stress and anxiety and overwhelm is everybody's first language these days. So, you know, I've been dealing with that in different versions for a very long time. And, um, you know, I decided then that I was going to transition from being a therapist to being a coach. So I did that slowly since 2015, just kind of doing it a little bit on the side. And then finally, when I moved uh, recently to Miami Beach, I decided that I was going to do coaching 100% of the time. And uh, in preparation for this move, I really thought about who do I want to serve most and what are their biggest challenges that I can help with. And I identified that my ideal customer is somebody who is a super high achiever. And I've worked with a lot of them, a lot of executives, a lot of physicians, a lot of entrepreneurs, people who really push themselves to achieve amazing things. But uh, as I was looking at, well, how can I help? And what are they, what are they struggling with? The one thing that kind of came out was burnout. So I started to really explore that topic a little bit more. And it was really interesting because, I mean, everybody has heard the word before, but not everybody really understands what it's about. And as I started to read about it and research the topic, I came to a real kind of definition of the term. And so people would come in, they would tell me what's going on for them. And I'd say, oh, it sounds like you're burning out. And then like the light bulb would go off and they'd be like, oh yeah, that seems right. Okay. So like everything starts to fall into place. And I think that's a really important piece of the puzzle is to be able to diagnose the problem so that you can find the appropriate treatment for it. It's kind of like 
when you go to your physician and you're like, my foot hurts. And they're like, oh, it's because the way that you're walking, your knee is falling inwards and, you know, you have to be in better alignment. It's not really the foot, you know, like we have to know what the actual problem is. And I think a lot of times people experience anxiety as a symptom of something else. Uh, And burnout is kind of the same way where we are engaging with our environment in a certain pattern. And sometimes there's things that we could do that we don't even know about that can really help shift how we experience our environment, whether it's at work or at home or out in the world. So that just became my mission to like help people who want to create amazing things in the world be their best version by helping them control their mind and really understand how they can take their power back. Mm, That's so interesting. So I think we all know that a little bit of stress is good for us. And most of us are way, way past the point of that being the case. And so I'm curious to know, like, what, what do you define burnout as? Like, how can you tell whether somebody is truly burned out or whether they're just experiencing like a normal human amount of stress? That's a really good question. And one of the things I love to help people understand is the difference between stress, which is something we all say every day is like, oh, I'm so stressed out, you know, <laughs> and and uh, and what burnout is. So burnout in its simplest form is chronic stress. So we all have stress really like all the time, like when we're driving our car and we're on the road or when we're talking to somebody or when we have some sort of project that we're working on for work and things like that. Stress just comes up all the time. And to your point, like a little bit of stress is good. A lot of stress in a short period of time, which is what we would call acute stress, can really put you over and start to affect your health, but you bounce back pretty quickly. But when stress is chronic, that means that it's unrelenting and it starts to become almost like this onion where it's like layer upon layer upon layer, it really starts to dig into you. And that's where you start to see people kind of falling apart. Uh, So the first kind of red flag we often talk about is mental exhaustion, which is a little different from physical exhaustion. It's really when just mentally you're fried, you can't really focus as much. And then it becomes this cascade because as soon as your focus goes down the toilet, then you know, everything else kind of goes with it because then, you know, your attitude starts to shift, your performance goes downhill. When you see that happening, it affects your confidence. You're like, oh, well, something's wrong. I used to be able to do this. I can't do it anymore. I don't really know what it is, but, you know, maybe I'm just not built for this anymore. I need to, a lot of times people think they have to like change their careers or get a different job. Um, And again, that's a result of people thinking that the problem lies out there in terms of all these external factors. And one of the things that I love to do is help people have those aha moments and realize that so much of their experience comes from within. And that's really good news because then they have more power to change it. Mm. 
Wow, I love that. I, I love that you mentioned the acute stress and the chronic stress and the difference between the two. And it's really important to reemphasize what you said. Like this system in your body is not bad. It's you want to have stress when you're driving your car because if you didn't, like you'd be asleep at the wheel. Like this is the exactly. system that is designed to help you run away from tigers. And and the chronic stress that you mentioned, just just that 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 constant buildup of always thinking that you have to be running away from tigers, boy. It just it just hijacks the system that was only there to protect you to begin with. That's right. Yeah. So that's where we have to say, like, it's not so black and white. It's not all bad or all good. It's just we want to get to optimal levels of stress, optimal levels of anxiety, because those are the things that motivate you, that keep you focused, that get you to do the work that you need to do to get out of bed in the morning. But when it becomes too much, that's where it starts your performance starts to decline and you really like start to hit a wall and you're not able to be your best self. Gotcha. Is most of this stress with the people you work with coming from work itself? So interestingly, I would say for a very um, small minority of people, that is really the case. And I'll give some examples. So for instance, if you're an ER physician and you have to work nights or you've got these you're a nurse and you work 12 hour shifts and you're dealing with all kinds of personalities at the job, or you are somebody who works 18 hour days and, you know, it's just nonstop and things like that. And there's like total demands on you. Then, yeah, we would say those are the exceptions, but the majority of people who are burned out, I find are burned out really because of some internal process. So Here's an example of somebody that I recently worked with who was experiencing this. So she's a veterinarian and she works at a clinic and I was asking her about her day. Like, what does it look like? Why are you so burned out? What's happening? And so she said, you know, every day is a little different, but, you know, she's expected to perform surgeries and then she has to do some consultation work. And she knew on a particular day she was going to start at 11, she had two surgeries she had to do. And then at three o'clock, she had to transition into her consultation. So she was doing surgery number one. Then she started doing surgery number two. And then she was going to take her lunch break right before her three o'clock consultation. I said, well, that seems really late. Is it possible for you to take your lunch after surgery number one and before surgery number two? And it really hadn't occurred to her, mm. you know? And I said, well, what would be different, right? So at first it was like a little bit of anxiety about doing that because it's like, what if my work piles up? I need to be done by three. And I'm like, well, we're not adding anything. It's not like a new component. We're just shifting the order of the things that you're doing. And tell me what would be different if you did that. So she was like, well, I could show up for my second surgery feeling more energized and more focused. And I'm like, huh. Like, why don't we actually try that and see if indeed you start to fall behind schedule or what you just said happens, right? Where you're more focused. So those are the kinds of things where people are kind of stuck in a certain pattern of behaving because they have these blind spots or because they have these irrational fears and thoughts. And that's where coaching is really helpful because we're able to kind of crack the code on this stuff and make life so much easier, you know, without without changing your career and changing your job and doing anything drastic in your life. 
Yeah. Wow. That's so well explained. I, I think sometimes we do need those coaches to help us kind of get outside of ourselves because we tend to spiral pretty quickly. What are some tips and tricks when somebody is, is maybe spiraling down and they, they can't figure out a way to sort a problem out for themselves? Like what are some things that they should be doing to be able to get out of that cycle? Well, there isn't like one thing I would say there's probably different things and they work for different people and they might even work for the same individual differently on different days. So I always say it's good to have a toolkit that is at your disposal. And that's really how I see my mission when I'm working with somebody is to help them build up their toolkit. So, you know, something that might be helpful is taking just a huge step back from what you're doing and getting some perspective on it. And one way to do that might be meditation, where you're just not focusing in on what you're doing, but you're just kind of getting back in focus with yourself, kind of centering, grounding, and breathing. And then sometimes you'll get some clarity that way, where you go inside. Other times it might be getting some support and talking to other people, whether it's a coach or an accountability partner or a manager, a supervisor, a mentor, like somebody who can look at the big picture that you can't get a good hold of because you're so in the details. Those are some really quick and easy strategies that can help people zoom out from their little dramatic world as it's unfolding and being able to kind of see like what's really going on here and what options do I have in front of me so that I can show up in a different way. Mm. Those options are so important. And all of that work is is so important as well. It, today was a really great example for me. I had a bunch of clients cancel. I trained one person today where I was supposed to train like three or four. And for whatever reason, various different mm. reasons, people had to cancel. And so, of course, the first thing I start doing is freaking out and thinking like, that all that lost revenue that I'm not going to be able to have, you know, what, what am I going to do? Like I I start freaking out and then all of a sudden I'm spinning downhill to like the business is going to fail and like, I'm going to be poor and like begging for money on the street. But you know, (laughs) since I've gone through a lot of those things that you've already mentioned and even something like the dichotomy of control with stoicism, you start to learn like, wait a second, this isn't in my control, this is something that happened that's outside of my control. The one client I trained was enough to make, you know, the bare minimum of what I need to make every single day to keep Netflix on. It's not that big of a deal. And you do realize there are other options, but when you're really stressed and stuck in burnout, you can't really see the forest for the trees and see any other options. Yeah, it's so true. And I think, um, you got to watch out for that scarcity mindset, you know, because it'll definitely get you spiraling. It's always good to just have faith that things are going to work out and come at your business and at life from that optimistic standpoint. And that's not to say that you don't go out and look for new clients or, you know, whatever, whatever the situation is that is getting you to spiral, but to just have faith that, you know, you're not going to like, I think we catastrophize. We have our brain kind of just goes to the worst case scenario often. And the majority of the time, those things actually don't come true. And if you know that about your brain, then you can keep it in check. Mm. 
It's so funny. We can look backwards. I think all of us in our lives and think like, wow, everything worked out pretty great to get me to this spot <laughs> and things that were problematic or things that I thought were going to cause a ruckus in my life actually pointed me in the right direction. I mean, we started our business exactly. in the pandemic, like, right? Like we can always look back and see that, but it's so hard to look in the future and think, why wouldn't the same thing continue to happen? It's yeah, it's absolutely the truth. So I would say to your point it's a very kind of Buddhist notion that we place judgments on things like things are good or things are bad. So when something happens and we don't really know what to do with it because it's unfamiliar, we get anxious and then we create these stories about, oh, that's really bad. That's going to be awful. And like everything's going to fall apart. But then, as you said, in retrospect, only after the fact are we the wiser and we're able to say, actually, it's good that it turned out that way because, you know, or uh, if that wouldn't have happened, then I wouldn't be where I am today. So I think, again, coming back to this notion of just trusting that everything's going to work out and may not be in a way that you expected or even realize is possible but that's kind of the mystery of life, and that's what I love. I love that. I'm so glad you mentioned Buddhism. I, it reminds me of that story about the the horses. Do you do you recall that story where like one horse yes. runs away and the, the other yes. farmer is like, "Oh, that's so bad," and the dude's like, "Maybe." And it goes back and forth with all these scenarios that seem good to turn out, you know, not so good, and vice versa. And yeah, I think that's a really really great point. Um, we do, like you said earlier, we do love to look for external things to fix rather than look inward. Can you give us a few examples of, of that and how that does not work? Oh, like that's all the time, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like it's really kind of like going back to what we were saying in the beginning. Like if you don't have the right diagnosis, it's hard to get the right treatment. So if you're diagnosing the problem wrong, like if you're saying, oh, it's because of my career and this has happened to my clients where they'll think it's their job or their career and they'll change industries or they'll skip around from job to job. And then at the end of the day, they figure out, I still feel this way. What's going on? And then I always tell them, well, if you look at it, you are the common denominator across all these experiences. So it must be you, right? And then let's look at what's going on so that we can fix it rather than running away from it. Hmm. I think that happens with relationships oftentimes. It's not like everybody you've ever been with has this one problem. You should actually like turn the mirror on yourself and realize it was you the whole time. <laughs> exactly. Especially mm. people who, you know, they've been married like eight times and you're like, something's going on here. Let's have a look. <laughs> you might be the common denominator here. I don't think the same problem is, is in all eight marriages. Um, interesting. So I, I also notice that sometimes people will sabotage themselves, self-sabotage, whatever their goals are. Um, what's an example of, of when you see that happen and why do people do that? So the reason we sabotage is really subconscious. So it's not like we're like, you know, I'm really going to stub my toe today because I really deserve it. But it's more like I'm going to really do amazing things in the world. And then you kind of hold yourself back. And that's because there's this subconscious belief about maybe you don't deserve it. Or maybe if you do this, then people won't like you. Or you have some sort of idea in your head. You, you may or may not be conscious of it, but your subconscious is really running the show 90% of the time anyway. So it's really important for you to do some work on cleaning that up and making sure that you are priming yourself 
to believe the things that you want to believe that serve you. And like I always say, like if if we can be in an experience of this self-fulfilling prophecy, it can work in both directions. So if it, if you know that you're underlying beliefs are leading you to sabotage because they're limited, then we can create new beliefs that actually open the door for you to be able to do whatever you want. Mm. Do you notice that those beliefs are things that are downloaded into us as we are kiddos and and growing up? Is it something that that, that is the software problem or the software program that was downloaded wasn't necessarily our conscious decisions? It was something that was kind of given to us? Yeah, a lot of the time our programming is a result of either our early life experiences that we've had directly, like maybe through a parent, a sibling, a teacher or a peer. Uh, But sometimes it can be somebody else's programming that we absorb like a sponge. So it could be that our parents had some sort of worldview and they just said it to us so many times that we absorbed it it became our own and now it's running our lives. And then you're like that. I don't even know why I have this. Like, where did this come from? You know, I just had this epiphany a while back about like a money belief and my experience kind of growing up. And then as I was like reviewing my life, I realized that this, that I always had really like abundance in my life, but I grew up with this sense of scarcity And when I looked at it, I was like, it's because my mom grew up with so little that even when she had a lot, like it was always from this place of scarcity of like spending it. And so I grew up thinking like we didn't have a lot of money, but like in retrospect, we were like very middle-class and like we had plenty of money to, you know, like that I shouldn't have had that kind of idea. And it took me like that, journey to go inward and to like, look at where my fear of, of, you know, the kind of like you were talking about earlier, that financial scarcity model, like where did that come from? And I, I realized that's where it came from. And also like having that epiphany of like, I actually, there is so much abundance in the world that I don't have to think like this. And, um, and it's really not even my programming. It was my mom. So I can like, let that go. And that was like such a huge change in my life. Wow. I love that. I'm so glad you brought up money. I think this one is just super common. And it's almost like, an, it, it, it's not, it's like an or problem. Like you can have money or you can be a good person. Like we, we tend yeah. to think that those two things don't go the same when all you need to do is say, and like, I can be a good person and I can want a normal amount of money for the things that bring enjoyment and happiness into my life or things that I can donate and, and help other people with. Yeah, I think people have so much uh, stuff around money about what it means if you have money and greedy and being selfish and all these things. And they're just limiting beliefs, really. And uh, the truth of the matter is money is neutral and we're just making it mean something that it's not. So if, if that's what you're doing, it's an indication that you have some work to do. Yeah. Wow. I love that. Another thing that, well, really isn't ours and and we call it spending, but we really can't because all we have is now is time. And I, I, I it's really curious and an interesting topic to discuss, but how, how can we give ourselves the time that we need for ourselves to avoid burnout to begin with? Yeah. So I love this question because kind of like with this client of mine that I described earlier, 
It's like, I got to get everything on my list done and then I'll go eat lunch. And that just doesn't work, right? Because by the time she gets to lunch, it's too late. She's tired. And she's going into that second surgery, really not in an optimal state. And the truth of the matter is, if you're in the receiving end of that surgery, you want your physician to be their best self. So you want them to have had that lunch and to have that rest. And we're not thinking about it like that. We're thinking like, oh, I just got to like get all this stuff done and people want me to do the surgery. So like that's the people pleasing that comes in. And then we are putting ourselves on the back burner. So I think we need to have a whole paradigm shift in terms of how we think about ourselves and our self-care. And what I always say, what I really like talked about in my book is this idea that you've got to plan out your self-care and then plan everything else around that. And what we are doing right now is we're doing it backwards where we're planning everything. And then we're like, oh, there's no time for me to go exercise or there's no time for me to meditate. And it's like, that's because you're, you're doing it in the opposite direction. You've got to start with what you want to do for yourself. And then you fit everything else in. Mm, it's like the concept in finances, pay yourself first, because yes. if you don't, you're going to find magically at the end of the month that you didn't have as much money as you thought you did. And yep. you're going to have to cut back on certain things. I absolutely love that. So what would you say here? Perfect example. This is the last appointment I have today. So I've got the rest of the day. I could go and chill out and just lay in the sun and enjoy the rest of the day. But I, my tendency is going to be to go to my to-do list, find 50 million things to get myself involved with, clean something or, you know, just continue staying busy when, I, you know, I, I know that I would be much better off if I did what you said and just kind of relaxed. What, what do you say to people who, who are like that, who just keep on doing and doing and doing and don't spend enough time just being in the moment and being present and enjoying themselves? So I think what is happening is most people don't plan their time in advance and they're very reactive. So if, you know, most people are like booked all day long because there's always something to do, right? Um, but in the miracle event, like you just described, where you have the rest of the afternoon off, which is such a luxury, then we'll just fill up the time. Right. And it is it is coming from that scarcity place of like, if I don't do all these millions of things, then I'll fall behind. Right. It's that FOMO kind of kicking in. And I say um, you want to think long term. So not just like, what are you going to get done today? But in, you know, in 24 hours, like if you wake up tomorrow morning, let's say, are you going to be better served having done those millions of things in your afternoon after you've worked all day? Or will you have been better served if you go out and get that sunshine and walk around and take some time for yourself? Like what is the benefit of each? And there isn't like a right or a wrong. And it's not like one is right all the time. It's like some days you have to just put your head down and do the things that are on your list because, you know, it's got to get done. And other times it's like, you know what, I'm going to prioritize going outside. But I think, as we said earlier, if you can plan in advance where, you know, like every morning I wake up and I do my meditation or my exercise or my yoga or whatever it is, or every lunch break, I go for a walk or every day after work, I do something, you know, like there's, there's got to be something built into the system that's happening on an automatic basis. So you don't have to look for the time it's there already pre-planned. 
Um, and then when you do happen to have those surprise windows show up, such a gift that really comes up. And yeah, I mean, at that point, really, you got to ask yourself, like, what is the benefit of doing each one of the options in front of me and then making the best decision at the time? What a great set of tips. That's awesome. Planning that ahead. And then also, um, you know, thinking about your reframing of the problem and how you can pay yourself back in the future when you might need that energy and that time of restfulness. That's amazing. I really love that. One of my new favorite phrases, I can't remember where I picked this up is Jomo. Have you heard of Jomo? No. What is that? The joy of missing out. (laughs) Oh yes. I've heard the joy of missing out. So good. Uh, I just haven't thought about it as Jomo, but yeah, I mean, Uh, That is kind of the antithesis, isn't it? It is. Yeah, it is. It's embracing the fact that, you know, you have certain boundaries. You mentioned expectations. A lot of those expectations are external. People expect us to do things or we think that people expect us to do things. And so we, we tend to say yes to everything when really there's a lot of times we should be saying no. What would you tell to somebody that you were coaching that had a tough time saying no to people and then became burned out and overextended? That happens with my clients all day long. So I think, yes, sometimes it's true that people have expectations, but I think the majority of the time my clients are saying yes because they're people pleasers and they're worried what would happen if they said no, that people won't like them, that, you know, like something bad will happen and they get all anxious about it. And what I would say is so much of that is really your own internal story, because the truth of the matter is when other people are asking you for something, they got nothing to lose by asking, but they probably don't expect you to say yes. And when you say no, and then you explain why you can't, usually they're understanding. So, you know, rather than build out this whole story about like how it's going to be catastrophic and people won't like you, the truth of the matter is people aren't supposed to like you because of all the great things you do for them. They're supposed to like you because of who you are. And if people are liking you for the wrong reasons, they don't really like you anyway. So I would just let that go and really focus on what's important, which is your own mental health. Amazing. Yeah. I absolutely love that. Love the phrase, like just because somebody throws you the ball doesn't mean you have to catch it. Um, that's right. Yeah. That's awesome. So um, I, we've, we've talked about stress and burnout. I, I do want to quickly talk about anxiety. It's not exactly the same thing. So it, it and it's also something that, especially in the last year and a half, I'm seeing a lot more of in people that we work with. Can you tell us a little bit about the, the difference between like burnout and anxiety and things we should be aware of as far as anxiety goes? Sure. So burnout, as we said, is chronic stress. So it's something that you've already experienced and it's kind of been building up. And so it's tearing you down. Anxiety is really a worry about something that hasn't happened yet, but you're creating some story in your mind about how it's going to be all catastrophic, kind of like the story that you shared about how your clients canceled and you were worried about how you're going to be panhandling on the street. And I have clients who have that exact scenario in their mind, right? And so that's where you're tripping out on these things that aren't real. And that's where we got to keep ourselves in check because our brain can do this all day long. Like it's wired to do this. It's, it thinks that it's helpful. It thinks that it's going to help us survive. And the truth of the matter is it really is harmful because you're wasting so much time worrying about things. And when I ask my clients, if you think about all the things that you've worried about or catastrophized over, what percentage of them actually came true? 
And like some of the time people will say none of them. And most of the time they'll say most happened, right? So it's a very little, like a very minor um, amount that actually does come to fruition. So we're spending the majority of the time worrying about things that happen the minority of the time. So I say that's not energy well spent. I love that. I think it was Mark Twain. I may butcher this. I'm definitely paraphrasing, but it like I'm a man of many troubles, some of which actually happened. <laughs> exactly. That's crazy. So do you notice that most people are projecting into the future versus ruminating about the past? No, they're doing both. Mm. That's why we have uh, depression and anxiety as the two biggest things that people struggle with. Depression is about the past, anxiety is about the future, and we're constantly yo-yoing back and forth. Wow, that's a really interesting way to put it. I didn't think I really understood it that way before. That That's, that's a really clear and concise explanation. Um, I, I also notice with, with myself and a lot of people, there's the me who I truly am, and there's this other me that's the me that I think that I should be or I believe that I should be, and those two things can kind of clash. Do you work with a lot of people who are, are, are projecting what they think they need to be and are not accepting their true selves? All the time. I mean, people are constantly, I think, limited by their belief that they're not enough and they have to be something else and they worry about what other people think about them. And that runs the show for them. So they're constantly worried about what if people find out that I'm not that great? And so they're struggling with imposter syndrome and they're looking outside to see like, what is acceptable? What do people like? How can I please them? You know, they're constantly on this lookout because again, we're wired to be part of the clan. We, you know, back in the day, uh, if you got ostracized, that meant death socially. So we're, we're kind of, wired to be accepted. And that's really become like an important part of how we are in the world. But I think you have to really put things into perspective nowadays that it's not what it was, you know, this whole tribal mentality, um, that you can be an individual and actually sometimes, and a lot of the time I would say it actually could be to your benefit because you become a leader and people look up to you and you don't have to blend in. You can actually stand out and be creative and have a difference of opinion. And that makes you unique. And there's nothing wrong with that. I love that. I mean, I think I'll put you on the spot and just ask you, do you have a particular story? Maybe just like the first thing that comes to mind when, when somebody addressed that exact thing and what kind of like magic they noticed in their life afterwards, after addressing that and, and realizing that they could be just as they were, who they were. Yeah. So I had a client that it was an interesting story coming back to the money issue. Uh, he was in, um, a relationship and his partner had made a bunch of money in his job. And so my client was like, Oh, money isn't spiritual. And like, I don't care about money, but then his partner had made all this money and wanted to go traveling. And so now my client was kind of in a conundrum. He's like, what am I going to do? I don't have the money and he wants to travel. What am I going to do? So we had a whole conversation about money. You know, we kind of, <laughs> burst his belief, if you, if you will. And, uh, he realized that it's not really true that it, he does care about money. He just didn't think that he could make enough. And so I challenged him and he started looking for jobs that pay more money. And within about six weeks, he got a new job and made an extra $20,000. 
So, uh, you know, it's kind of like until you look at what's holding you back and sometimes it's your beliefs and sometimes it's your own actions, you really don't know what's possible for you. And I think doing this work is just the biggest gift you can give to yourself. I love that. I love that. And it's all, it is work, but it's serving to make your own life better. And in that sense, it's like, you're just, you're simply paying yourself. The work you're doing is making your life better. It's, it's almost like it, it, it self-regulates based on that. And you, you get to enjoy everything so much more after doing the work. I love that. That's awesome. Thank you for this story. Um, <laughs> really love that one. I, I would love to know about your book and when you decided to write the book and how you kind of came up with the concept. Yeah. So my book is called the seven E solution to burnout. So it's E like the, you know, like elephant. Um, and it was really interesting. As I said, in the beginning, I decided I wanted to work with super high achievers. And as I was trying to figure out how to put it all together, I just started putting a lot of the concepts that I was teaching my clients down on paper. I kind of structured it in such a way where and I didn't want it to be overwhelming because I was working full-time at the time in addition to having to write this book. So I just made it a goal that every week I would write one blog article and I spent about two hours writing it because I did a lot of research and it was kind of a long form article. And the idea was at the end of the year, I'd take all the articles, I'd stitch them together and we'd have a book. Well, that was really the starting point because then when I was putting it together, you had to make it some somehow succinct. Um, it had to follow some sort of a structure. And I was looking at the concepts and each of the concepts, as it turned out, started with the letter E. And I was like, oh, well, that's kind of cool. Uh, so why don't we call it the seven E solution to burnout? And really it's taking the reader on this journey from, you know, starting from this place of empowerment because they come into burnout, as I said, often really disempowered because they think everything is happening to them and they have no control over it. So really kind of taking back your power and then going from there and learning all the skills that allow you to be that best version, whether it's emotional intelligence, whether it's, you know, self-efficacy, which is your belief in your ability to perform at work, something that really goes downhill when you're burned out, as we said, um, energy, which, you know, we're depleted of when we're burned out. So all of these different factors along the way that uh, allow us to really notice what's happening as it's happening, be able to manage ourselves, other people around us have more understanding and uh, be less reactive. And I think when we put it all together, you mentioned some, some of the concepts that are in there, like boundaries, time management, there's so much. Um, it just kind of came together. So yeah, it was a fun project. It was definitely something that took a lot longer than I ever expected. Like if someone would have said to me, it's going to take you like two years to write this thing. And then, you know, it'll take another six months before you publish it. I would have been like, oh, forget it. <laughs> but, but, you know, that's how long it took. And I'm really happy that it's out and it's really built with a lot of love. And the idea there is for, for it to be like a self coaching guide for people who want to do it themselves. So it teaches you all the concepts. It's got a workbook and all kinds of exercises that you can take to really capture all of the information and customize it, kind of bring it into your own experience and see how it applies to you. 
I love that. What a great way to approach things. You mentioned one of the E's as elephant. I really hope that's not one of the E's because I don't know where to find an elephant. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> but it, if it's not, can you talk about um, some of your favorite E's um, that, that get you like really excited and passionate these days? Yeah, I would say probably the biggest one is emotional intelligence because this is something that, I mean, research has shown is more important than IQ in the workplace. And yet we don't really learn this in school. Nobody's teaching it. And it is so important, not just in terms of getting along with other people, but in terms of managing our own stress, our own mind. I mentioned a few times already that we're wired for negativity. We're wired to be anxious and to be in the survival mode. We become really reactive. A lot of my clients, because of the way that their brain thinks, take things really personally and they're really injured and then they're not able to focus on their work and they're spinning out. And like all of this has to do with your mind. And if you learn how to manage it and you learn how to take back control over how it thinks and how you feel and how to change things and how to, what I call kind of reverse engineer your results, then you're going to be like able to do your job much more easily. It's kind of like that whole concept of work smarter, not harder. I think it all comes together basically to, to that point. That's great. You mentioned a workbook. Is that kind of like a journal with different uh, questions to answer and things like that? So the way that I did the book was after every section, I created some questions for the reader or some exercises or a checklist. There's something that I want people to be able to absorb the information before they move on, because I don't want it to be like a passive experience that you just read it. And then you're like, Oh yeah, I read that book. Like, no, I really want it to be transformative. And then what I did was I actually took all of those questions and checklists and exercises. And I also made a digital version of that, which is the workbook. So they can have it inside the book, but some people may get the ebook or some people may not want to write in their book so they can also get it online. And it's a, it's, it's kind of like a digitally fillable form so they can actually fill it out right on their computer if they don't want to print it out. Mm. Don't you feel like there's something that is so, so much, I, I don't know, it's, it's deeper when it's like more tactile, like when you have it in your hand and you have to use a pen and actually write, do you find that that's more effective, even if people have a digital copy? Absolutely. I'm definitely a fan of old school, hold it in your hand. Um, and there's also research that shows that when you write by hand rather than type, it does, it's like a different function in your brain and it sticks more. So I always recommend for people, you know, when they're journaling and, you know, doing those kinds of exercises with themselves that you get the most bang for your buck when you're writing it down old style. Yeah. I love that. I still have a to-do list next to my laptop that is always written and I scribble things down and cross things out like, like totally old school. Um, curious to know what other things you're working on these days, if there's going to be a follow-up book or if you're just focusing on your coaching. So right now I'm, I'm just focused in, I would say mostly on my coaching. Um, but I'm always looking for new and creative ways to get the message across and help people figure out what's happening for them. So I recently put together a burnout checklist 
And that's like a really quick win for people to be able to just assess like what stage of burnout they might be in and then what they need to do about it. Um, so that's something that I, you know, I'm happy to share with your listeners. Um, if they want to get a copy of that, it's free. It's they just go to bit.ly forward slash my burnout checklist. Um, and then I've got a whole bunch of other resources on my website. I've got a quiz. I've got a webinar uh, that's available on demand. Uh, there's all kinds of goodies there. And then I also have a YouTube channel with lots of videos and other things. So I'm always just kind of trying to take this message and expand on how I deliver it and who I share it with. Yeah, that's amazing. I've been playing around on your website and it really is full of lots of resources and links to your podcast and all that stuff. It's, it's a really great resource. Can you tell us a little bit about the quiz? Yeah. So the quiz is basically looking at what are things that are going well and not going well. And I'm basically asking the questions from two directions so that I, you know, as you, as I score it for you, basically uh, there are some things that are what we call reverse scored. So um, if you score high on them, you actually get a low score and vice versa. And the idea there is to kind of get a sense of total, you know, you look at the total score and, and kind of get a sense of how well overall are you doing right now? Um, and then I give people some tips on if you're, you know, not doing so great, here are some resources. So it's the kind of thing where people fill it out. I'll get notified. I'll email them personally with their results and some additional resources. And I just like that human touch. I love that. That's great. I've got two questions for you about you and your life and you personally. What is your favorite way to self-care? What are, what are some things that you have in place so that you don't get burned out? Because my goodness, like you got the book, you're, you're creating content all the time through podcasts. I mean, it would be easy for you to fall victim to the exact same thing you're helping other people with. And so what are some things that you do personally to take care of yourself? So I would say there's a couple of things there. One is it's not always about how much you work or how long you work, but it's about what you're doing when you're working. And one of the things I'll say is I actually really, really enjoy the work that I do. I feel like this is my purpose in life is to do this work and to connect with people and help them kind of live their best lives. And so for me, I don't easily get burned out doing it. Um, but I do make sure that I have self-care built into my schedule. And I mentioned that we moved to Miami Beach. And since we got here, I've been swimming every morning before work. Um, we have an outdoor pool in our community. So I've been going there and swimming. Uh, some days we'll go into the ocean and take a dip or just take a walk on the sand barefoot, which is very grounding. I also make sure to meditate every single day and, uh, you know, just kind of mix it up. Like today I did yoga and I didn't go swimming. So it's kind of like, just have a little bit of a mix of different things. And that just keeps me sane and grounded so that I can show up that way for my clients. 
I love that. We couldn't agree more with the barefoot and the grounding, um, you know, going to minimal footwear and walking around barefoot is so, so restorative and amazing. We can't recommend that enough. The second question I had about you and your life kind of, kind of goes back into the past. And I want to ask what life event do you feel like kind of steered you off course of what you thought your life was going to be, but ended up being, you know, something that steered you towards your life calling? Oh, that's a really good question. I don't know that there was something that steered me off, but what it did make me think of is when I was around, you know, 18, 20, and I was trying to figure out what do I want to do with my life? I really, you know, I had grown up with people around me constantly talking about, oh, I have to go to work. And I really didn't want to be that person really didn't want to be that person who didn't want to go to work in the morning, who was kind of dragging my feet, who was complaining all the time. So I really took that decision very seriously. And long story short, I decided I was going to study psychology. And I remember going to college and my dad saying to me, you know, if you decide that it's not for you, don't worry about it. Just start over. And uh, I just, that really stuck with me because I feel like a lot of times people talk about how they are expected to be a certain way that, you know, their parents put pressure on them. And I felt just so incredibly lucky that my parents were as generous as that to let me choose my own path and not pressure me to do it their way. And so that, that really, I think, um, Help me see that there's a way that maybe my clients didn't get to see. And I want to share that with them. That's beautiful. What an amazing gift to be able to give that to you and, and, you know, give you the freedom to explore life the way you think you need to. Um, that's, that's incredible. Thank you for sharing that. Um, what does it look like if somebody wants to do coaching with you? What do your programs look like as far as that goes? So I have a burnout coaching program, which is a 90 day program and in that program, I've basically taken all of the steps, the seven E solutions from the book, and I've built it out into this step-by-step program that I take people through module by module. It's a hybrid of online uh, videos as well as live coaching with me. Um, and it's a really nice mix because then they get the information, they have a workbook, they get to um challenge themselves each and every week. And we build micro habits over the course of the three months so that they are really seeing like, Hey, if I do this thing for 30 seconds, it starts to really have this ripple effect in my life. So like, as an example, I ask people to make their beds when they wake up in the morning. And that's something that takes literally just seconds But when you walk into your room at the end of the day, it's such a difference in how you feel because your environment, and we don't really understand this enough, but I think our environment has a big impact on how we feel. And the reason for that is because we are such visual beings. So to be able to create that order from chaos in our environment can really help us feel less stressed out and more grounded. So those, those are the little things that I have people kind of work on from a behavioral standpoint, in addition to doing all the mindset work. 
Mm. I, yeah, you're right. I don't know what it is about it, but I, I would agree. Like uh, having a made bed, it does change the energy quite a bit. And it is so simple. I think it helps maybe set an intention for the day. Um, whatever it is, I, I, I couldn't agree more. Do you find that after 90 days you need to continue working with people or is it more often than after the 90 days, the people have the resources they need and they can just kind of move on? Well, my goal is always to help people be self-sufficient so they don't have to rely on me. But what I find is sometimes people will finish the program. They're no longer burned out. They are feeling like more energized and they're less anxious and they have all the results, but they might want to pivot and work on a different aspect of their life that the program didn't address. And so um, then we can have that conversation of like, so what's next for you? And sometimes it's working with me and sometimes I'll refer them to somebody else or sometimes they're good and they just want to like run with what they got. I love that. We love people who love getting fired because they did such a great job to begin with. That's amazing. This has been, That's right. yeah, it's awesome. I love it. This has been such a fun and dynamic conversation. Love learning from you about burnout. I'm wondering if there's one simple tip you would like to leave with a listener. You've given so many great tips during this conversation, but if you had to, you know, get it down to one simple thing, what would that be? The one simple thing might be that so much of what is creating stress and drama in your life is caused by your brain. And if you can learn to think differently and manage your own mind, you will have a proportionally different life, like a exponentially more like richer, more expansive life. So it sounds really simple, but it is such a difference. I love that. What a great place to end. Dr. Sharon, where can people go to find you and connect with you and your work? So again, my website's drsharongrossman.com and my burnout checklist is available at bit.ly forward slash my burnout checklist. So those are two great places to get started. Perfect. We will link that in the show notes. Dr. Sharon Grossman, author of The 7E Solution to Burnout. Happy podcasting day. Thank you so, so very much for spending time with us on podcasting day and explaining these concepts because I think they are so important. And like Yeah, it was great. About, Thanks for having me. It was amazing. It was so amazing. Thank you for your work. Thank you for everything you do and all your content. We'll make sure we link to all of it in the notes, but we're very grateful for you and the time you took today to be on our show. It was super fun. Thanks for having me again. Absolutely. It was an honor. And this has been another episode of Boundless Body Radio.